0: As we get started, the first thing that I'd like to do is to thank those of you who prayed this last week. Some of you knew that our granddaughter, Hunter Lou, was very sick this last week. Many people were praying. Uh, What happened was last Monday, so New Year's Day, the end of the day, we got the report that um, there was something wrong, that she was really sick. And um, my son and daughter in law were actually in Big Sur at a wedding and they took the baby to an emergency room in Paso Robles and and then the baby continued to get sick and even more sick and they couldn't figure out what was wrong so they put her on a life flight and they flew her in a helicopter down to Santa Barbara and what happened was um, she contracted infant botulism and that is extremely rare there 's about a hundred cases a year only in the us and uh, you know it 's a really weird thing, and the majority of cases are in Pennsylvania and California so how do you how do those two connect well there's basically two ways that an infant can get botulism one way is through honey so the Amish community um, put honey into water, and they would feed their babies with kind of honey water. And so one of the ways that babies get botulism is from honey, um, up until a certain age, like one year old. So there's a lot of cases in Pennsylvania, but the other way that they get it is actually from spores that are in the earth, and it's airborne. So if by some random reason a baby is to breathe in these spores, then they can get this case of botulism, and that mainly happens in California. So this is what took place, and uh, so it's been an intense week, and many of you have prayed. I really appreciate it, um, and you know, I'm not going to talk a whole lot about it other than to say that we totally saw the hand of God at work in this situation. So I'll give you an illustration of this. Um, they're in Paso Robles in the emergency room. They can't figure out what's wrong go on the life flight, end up in Santa Barbara. And at the Santa Barbara Hospital, there's a nurse in the pediatric intensive care unit who lived at the early part of her uh, nursing career. She lived in Pennsylvania. And because of the Amish community there, she treated like 20 cases of infant botulism and actually became the person that went into the Amish community to educate them about this whole thing. So she was sort of like an expert on this whole thing, and she was the one who met them at the helicopter. And when they got off the baby, and and basically she took one look at the baby, and she said, this baby has botulism. It was kind of just the Lord, you know, that, that she happened to be there. And so, you know, it's one of those things where you go, okay, this is a horrible situation, but we see the Lord. So they have actually an antidote, and weirdly, the antidote was developed by the Defense Department because the antidote was developed for chemical warfare, uh, for nerve agents. So um, that was released to the public something like, I don't know, 20 years ago or something, and began to be used for uh, baby botulism. So babies, they are susceptible to botulism until they're about a year old, and then after that they're not, as, not susceptible anymore to airborne botulism. So um, she w- they were able to diagnose this, they were able to give her this medication, and uh, the prognosis is 100 percent recovery with no repercussions. So it's amazing. Thank. yeah I mean, talk about relief. That's just like total relief. It's like, and it's amazing, too, because because what happens is, what happens with botulism is it kills the nerve endings to the muscles, and so um, the baby becomes completely limp and untreated, it can stop the lungs because you, your muscles just stop working. And so um, it's very, very serious, um, but the muscles can, re, or the, the nerve endings can regenerate as well. And so um, that's the process of this. It's an amazing thing to see a child who basically is paralyzed and can't move and can barely breathe and then, you know, to, to pray and then for someone to say, well, no, it's actually going to be totally fine, <laughs> totally recovery, no repercussions. So, and we're just thankful and we're really thankful for all of you who prayed. Um, thank you so very much for that. Would you continue to pray for Hunter Lou, little Hunter Lou, six months old, because even though... She's recovering. It's a process, so the nerve endings have to regrow, and it can take weeks. She'll probably be in the hospital for a week or two. It's a slow process um, with total victory, we believe, but pray for that recovery and pray for my son Trevor and his wife Cassie, if you would, as well. Okay, how do we turn a corner from that? Where do we go? How about grab a Bible? So raise your hand and grab a Bible. We're going to open the scriptures as we always do at Riverwest Church on Sunday morning. And we're going to look into the Word of God. Once you grab that Bible, if you could turn in the Bible to the Gospel of Luke and chapter 15. Luke 15 to get us started this morning. And as you're finding your place in the Bible, let me give you the headline. So this is the headline for everything that I want to talk about this morning. It goes like this. The word mission is simple to understand. The word mission means there's something important that I have to do. You get it? It's simple. Mission means there's something important I have to do. People who live on mission, people who have a sense of mission in their life are people who live with purpose. They're people who live with a sense of urgency in their life, mission. There's something important that I need to do. Now, every week at church, almost everywhere in the world, there's something that happens. It's about a five-minute process where the weekly announcements for weekly activities are given during the service. And, you know, most, most of us on church staff world, we sort of view it as an irritant. It's like, really? We have to make an announcement, and how are we going to do that? And it's going to be sort of distracting from our worship, and how, so, you know, you'll find the announcements get moved all over the service kind of a thing, so however we can get them in. Most people do not look at the, uh, the weekly announcements as the highlight of the church service. That's just a spiritual truth. But the greatest five minutes of church announcements that I've ever heard took place at St. Ebb's Church in Oxford, England, a Sunday morning in July 2014. And I can't tell you what the sermon was about. I can't remember anything about that service, not a song that was sung, nothing else, but I'll never forget the announcements. And actually, I had a life-changing experience during the announcements at this church. Let me set the stage for you. We were on sabbatical. We had spent three and a half weeks in the Holy Land. We had spent time in Jerusalem. It was amazing. You know, I mean, just if you've been there, you know. It's an amazing place to go for so many reasons. All of the history the footsteps of Christ, the Temple Mount, the current history. I mean, it's just, it's too much to take in. And then in Galilee, we spent quite a bit of time in Galilee, walking in the footsteps of Jesus, praying at the Sea of Galilee, thinking about the history of the early church. Just amazing, a lot to take in. So all that was swirling around in my mind. Ended up in Oxford, England, at the Center for Muslim and Christian Studies for three weeks wanting to just immerse myself in the theology of Islam to try to understand it and to compare it to Christian faith. I mean, what what do they really believe and how does it compare or contrast with the gospel of Jesus Christ? So my brain was just stuffed. It was just filled with things. Sunday morning, I got up, began to make my way to St. Eb's Church, walked up over the Magdalen Bridge, on my right was Magdalene College, where C. S. Lewis taught for many years. He actually came to faith in Christ there. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia there, so every time I passed I kind of gave a nod to C.S. It was kind of cool. Made a left, walked across Christchurch Meadows. Amazing building. Harry Potter was filmed there, a lot of it, you know, the the um, dining hall scenes. Made a right walked up St. Ebb's, sat down in St. Ebb's church. They sang a couple songs, sitting in the back. And they say, and now Brother So-and-So will share the announcements. And I'm thinking, okay, it's every church, announcements, here it comes. And Brother So-and-So got up, and he said, before the announcements, would you listen to a verse from God's word? He said, let's open up to Luke chapter 15, I went, this is interesting. You usually don't get verses with announcements. (laughs) Luke 15, this is what he read. Verse one, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance and he looked up at the congregation and he said friends this is our god this is his heart this is his love and his care and this is his glory and then he said friends we have work to do and i thought that's how you give announcements <laughs> and then he and then he said here's what's going on this week we have work to do come on let's do this and it was amazing and i actually had in that moment i i had a radical experience with the lord Because as he was reading these beautiful verses about the God who would leave the 99 and go after the one. The God who is the friend of the tax collectors and the sinners. The God whose heaven would rejoice over one who would repent. As I heard those words, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. And everything snapped into focus in that moment. Everything I had experienced... Everything I was learning and studying and thinking about and I felt like the Lord said this is what it's all about. Everything. Everything is about this. Everything you experienced in Israel it's about the one. It's about the God who in his love and glory seeks out the one to save. And in my mind I I sort of traveled back to Jerusalem and I I saw myself there in the old city looking at the temple mount, thinking about Jesus who in that place was mocked and scorned by the religious leaders. Looking over to my left and seeing the place most likely where Jesus was crucified, picturing his suffering in that place and thinking this is the meaning of it. It's for the one. It's the God who seeks and saves the lost. This is the heart of God. This is the glory of God. And then looking over and imagining the place of Christ's resurrection and his appearance to the disciples and thinking this is what it's about. Christ the risen Lord who appears to his disciples and sends him into the world on mission to seek and to save the lost. In my studies of Islam and and wrestling through what is the difference between Christian faith and the religion of Islam, and actually realizing this is it. This This is it. It's the God who seeks and saves. It's the God who comes on mission into the world to die for sins and to rise again. And I kept thinking, these words echoed through my mind, that whole church service, this is our God. This is his heart. This is his glory. And you know what? We have work to do. It's a beautiful moment. I'll never forget it. And with that, we come to our seventh word in our series on the seven traits of a living, healthy church. So if you've been around for a while, you know we've been in this series for the last several months. We took a break for Christmas and New Year. But our series is, is titled The Seven Traits of a Living, Healthy Church. And so we've been through the list Jesus, Gospel, Gratitude, Prayer, Unity, Maturity, and number seven Mission. And it's almost like with number seven, you sort of come full circle, don't you? (laughs) You come full circle. It starts with Jesus coming into the world on gospel mission, and it runs through the personal response of each one to the gospel in gratitude and faith and prayer to those individuals coming together and forming the community of Christ, the church of Christ, which becomes his witness in the world, a mature body of believers who then reflect this heart, this love, this glory of God to the world. And indeed, that church community is on mission, expresses Christ's mission in the world. So you become full circle when you come to mission. And the word mission is really easy to understand because the word mission simply means that there's something important that I need to do and what if we took that and instead of making it individual what if we, we made it a plural kind of a thing what if we say there's impor- something important that we need to do we as a community there's something important for us to do Every Christian whose faith is alive needs to have a sense of mission in their life. They need to know that there's something important for them to do. Without that sense, I believe their faith will begin to die. Every church must live with a sense of mission. Every church must know there's something important for us to do. And in the absence of that kind of a heart and that kind of a feeling, then that church will not remain a living church for very long. So now I want you to go with me to the Gospel of Mark and in chapter 1. And I want to show you what I consider one of the most amazing passages in all of the Gospels. Mark chapter 1. Now, this is amazing for a couple of reasons. What I'll do is I'll start reading in Mark chapter 1 and verse 14, and we'll read down to verse 20. So in 1.14, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, For were in their boat mending the nets, and immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. Now, this to me is one of the most amazing passages of all, and I'm gonna tell you why. So, first I want to start with this. The first thing to see is that Jesus Christ has come into our world on the mission of God. Jesus has come on the mission of God, and that mission of God he calls the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Note carefully what Jesus says. Jesus says the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled, and immediately you know that what Christ is doing is, in this chapter, is part of a much larger story. It's part of a giant epic story Actually, it is the story of the entire Bible which points forward to the coming of Christ and says that at the right time, the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah will come into the world and bring God's kingdom. And Jesus shows up and says, the time is fulfilled. Jesus comes on the mission of God. So, when we say that the word mission is simple, here's what the word mission means it means there's something important that I have to do. The first thing we have to realize is our God is a missionary God, He's a missionary God. We serve a God who is on mission. And mission means I have something important to do. So, here's what God says God says, I have something important to do. And He's on mission. Our God is a God of action. Our God is a God who works in the world. He's not a distant God who is aloof and far away and just watching from a distance, as the old song said. It's a God of action. So that what we find is the entire Bible is the story of God in action. I mean, it really begins from the first line because God creates the heavens and the earth. But the majority of the story of the Bible is the story of God taking action to rectify the crisis, the tragedy of sin in our world. So that even in chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, God makes a promise and he says, through the seed of the woman, the seed of the serpent of Satan, his head will be crushed. It's the promise of God. God. It's actually the mission of God. Now, the entire rest of the Bible is the unfolding of that promise. God has something important to do, and no one can do it but God. That's the story of the Bible. That's the story of the gospel. That's the story of Jesus coming into the world. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. He gave his son into the world on mission, doing this amazing work. That's who Jesus is. Now here's what's astounding though. Okay, that's amazing enough. But then take all of that and put it side by side with this next verse. Take a look at verse 16. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Here's the second thing I want you to see in this passage. Jesus calls ordinary men and women from every walk of life to join him in his mission to our broken world. Now, you might not be surprised that God is a God of mission, that Jesus has come on a mission. That might not surprise you. But it might surprise you to learn that immediately, as soon as we find out about the mission of Jesus, the very next thing that happens in the Gospel of Mark is we learn that we too have a mission. Jesus calls ordinary men and women from every walk of life to join him in that mission. Some people make the mistake by reading the Gospels and they put these disciples into a special category in the sense that they say, well, whatever's written about them, it doesn't apply to me because, you know, they're the original disciples. So, of course, they're called on mission. And you miss the point. The point is, is that they're ordinary, everyday men. They're fishermen. They're not kings. They're not prophets. They're not religious scholars. They're not rich. They don't have a lot of resources. And Jesus called them And he said, come and follow me. They become the representatives now of what it means to follow Christ in our broken world. Sometimes we call ourselves Christians. Sometimes we just say, I'm a follower of Christ. We're Christ followers. Where does that come from? It comes from right here. Jesus said, follow me. If you're a Christian, you are a Christ follower. Some people say that the gospel of Mark If you could boil down the gospel of Mark into just two things, two themes, theme number one would be, who is Jesus? And theme number two would be, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? How do I follow? I think that's right. Who is Jesus? Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 15, paints a portrait, a magnificent portrait, portrait of who Jesus is, and he's on mission. Something important to do that no one else can do. He's coming to the world, to, to seeking to save, to die on the cross, to rise again. Who is Jesus? But as soon as you get to verse 16, the question is, what does it mean to follow him? What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? And the, really, the rest of the gospel is going back and forth between Those two things. What does it mean to follow Jesus? I can tell you for sure that it means at least this. It means to live your life on mission. It means that God has something important for you to do. Now, if I say, well, mission means I have something important that I need to do. You can interpret that to say, well, I have a lot of important things to do because they're super important to me. You know, so I make up my own mission, right? But that's not Christian mission. Christian missions you've been given something important to do. God has something important for you to do. He's going to define what that is. And the mission that you have is joining his mission, the mission of Christ. Every follower of Christ and every church needs to know there's something important for us to do, and it's been given to us by the Lord. Now, I'm going to tell you a personal story. Many years ago, young family, planning a church, um, things aren't going all that well, pretty broke, living in Oregon, it's winter, it's cold, it's dark, it's freezing, it's depressing. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, okay, there we are. And it's like, we got to get out of here. we got to go on a vacation. So, but I can't afford to really go anywhere except for to go see the family in Southern California. So we would go down and, you know, go to the family house. Well, the problem is, is that the family house is in Newport Beach. It's on a bluff overlooking the ocean. The weather perfect. It's this amazing grand place. Why is that a problem? It's a problem because, you know, I got down there and I looked around and I went, this is kind of nice. You know, like I could trade up. Like I could, you know, maybe maybe this is where I'm supposed to be, you know? And I instantly recognized I'm being tempted. This is a temptation. And so I went into my room and I opened my Bible and I said, "I know what to do when you're tempted." I'm going to read Matthew chapter 4 about the temptation of Christ. So I open my Bible to Matthew 4, and I'm reading about the temptation of Christ. The Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He was fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Afterwards, he was hungry, and the devil came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to be turned into bread. And Jesus looked at him and said, No way, for it is written, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And I'm reading this. I'm going, yeah, I'm being tempted, and this is going to really inspire me. And I didn't really feel that inspired by it. (laughs) You know, I'm reading on, and the devil takes him and shows him all the kingdoms and the splendor and all the goods and all the things of the world and says, fall down and worship me. And Jesus rebukes the devil and says, it's written, you shall worship only the Lord your God. And I'm like, that's it, man. I'm going to get inspired. And I'm like, man, I'm just, that didn't really inspire me. <laughs> and I'm looking around and I'm still tempted. I'm going, what am I going to do? You know? And so I just kept reading and I'm reading in the Gospels. And you know, I, I came to this story. I came to this story where Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee and he calls these fishermen. He says, leave your nets, leave the boats. Leave your father's business. He says, Leave all that. And he says, Come and follow me. And I will make you to become fishers of men. It's mission. And you know what mission means? It means I have something important I need to do. And I'm not kidding you. This was a real experience in my life. When I read that story, all the temptation went away, it just vanished. Just like a miss is just gone. You know why? Because the Lord said, I have something important for you to do. I have something important for you to do. And that important thing I have to do is meaningful in your life. And it, you know what? It means more than the house you live in, the car you drive, how much money's in the bank how cold and rainy and dark it is where you live. <laughs> it means more than any of that, okay? I have something important for you to do. And that sense is life-giving to the Christian. It's life-giving to a church. And the man at St. Ebb's said, brothers and sisters, this is the heart of God. This is the glory of God in this work for us to do. And I said, amen. That's a beautiful thing. So what about you? I'm here to tell you today that every Christian and every Christian church, God has something important for you to do. And that's your strength. Many of you know Pastor Nopum from Myanmar. We talk about him often. We've had him to the church a couple years ago. And he's really one of my heroes of the faith. He's a great inspiration to me because I've never met a man that that seems to me to have a greater sense of purpose, of urgency, of mission. It's amazing. When we brought him here to the U.S., he stayed at my house, and then he actually traveled in the U.S. because people heard that he was here, and he was invited to speak at Burmese churches around the the U.S. It's amazing. He went and he spoke at all these churches. He came back. At the end of three months, he came back and stayed at my house for a couple days before flying home to Myanmar. And in my kitchen, I stood there and I said, Pastor Nopum, you've come to the U.S. You've never been here before. You know, some people said, don't bring him. He'll never go back when he sees, you know, what it's like here. I said, well, Pastor Nopum, what have you experienced? What's it like? Can you tell me? When you go back, what is the thing that has made the biggest impression on you of your time here? And this is what he said to me. I'll never forget it, just like announcements at St. Ebb's. Um, This is what he said to me. He quoted Psalm 125. Tears began to stream down his face. And he said, sorry, Psalm 126 in verse 5. He said, this is what I've learned while I'm here. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He said, I've been thinking about this for three months my whole time here. I went to the least reached people group in all of Myanmar. And I brought the gospel to them. And I did not have the impact that I had hoped to have. And God showed me. He said, I've been thinking about this verse. God revealed to me while I was here in America The reason I did not see more fruit is because I did not sow the seed with tears. And so he said, I've resolved to go back to Myanmar and to sow the seeds of the gospel with heartfelt tears of prayer to see fruit for Christ. And first I wanted to choke myself because I'm like, I can't believe he said that to me. Like (laughs) After being here for three months, He didn't say, your cities are so amazing. I love the transportation here. Like, the homes are cool. You know, it's like, I'm not going to go back because I want to be rich. He didn't say anything like that. (laughs) You know what he said? He said, essentially, God's given me something important to do. I'm on a mission. And that trumps everything else. I'm on a mission. I've joined Christ on his mission. Isn't that cool? I mean, that's inspirational to me. I love that. Now, if you go back, if you go to Myanmar, you're going to see Pastor Nopum has a living church. Like, it's alive. The people he works with, the church, they're alive, and they live with a sense of mission and purpose. You say, but Pastor, what does that have to do with me? You know, I mean, you're talking about yourself as a pastor and Pastor No Poom and all of that. What does that have to do with me? You need to know this every Christian man and woman from every walk of life, God has something important for you to do every day. Live that out. Live with that sense of purpose every day. Get up and say, What's the mission today? On my phone, I figured out a way to put on my home screen on my phone, so every time I push the button and the light comes on, it says, right across the front of my phone, it says, what's the mission, question mark? Every day, you know? And people say, you know, that we use our devices too much, right? Do you look at your phone ever? You know, you're pressing the button, you're looking at your phone. Do they get any updates? Every time I look at my phone, it says, what's the mission, like today, what's the mission? How can I have an impact for Christ today? In this moment, how can I have an impact for Christ? Every place that you are, every setting, what will you do? We got in a car, a lift ride from the Santa Barbara airport to the hospital. The driver's name was Saeed. He looked Palestinian, he was. We told him what we were doing, where we were going. He said, oh, that's a good hospital. He said, I had cancer, and I was very sick, and I went to that hospital. They took good care of me. I said, how are you now? He says, oh, I'm totally clear, Total, totally clear of cancer. And I said, well, God must have a purpose for your life. God must have something for you to do. Why am I saying that? I just want to start a conversation, you know, and he says, I believe that with all of my heart. I believe it. He began to tell me his story. He's from Bethlehem. He's Palestinian. And he told me his story. He said, you know, when I found out that I had this diagnosis, the doctor said, we must start treatment. He said, no, I cannot. I'm going to Bethlehem. I'm going back to my family. He went back to the family. He visited the family. He came back. He got treatment. Now he's all clear. I said, will you go back to Bethlehem again? He said, no, they'll kill me if I come back. Because I've written things. I've written things. You can imagine. <laughs> we were just having this conversation. I said, well, you know, we're Christians. We believe in Jesus. We're going to pray for you. We're thankful that, that God healed you. And we had this conversation. Okay, well, what? it's just a tiny... Is that evangelism? Well, it's just, it's just being a Christian and just talking and having a conversation and raising the flag of faith in Christ. As simple as that. See, every day, every follower of Christ has a, something important to do for Christ at your business, at your place of work, in your family. There's something for you to do. Now, what if a whole church believes that? That's when things really begin to get interesting. I want to just share a couple last things. There are two dimensions of the mission of Christ in our broken world. And they always go together. Two dimensions. You can learn more about this in the mission class if you take the mission class at our church. But there's two dimensions of the mission of Christ. They always have to go together. Dimension number one is the mission to the one. The one. That one sheep. Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. Jesus died for the one. And so each and every one is precious to the Lord, and they need to know the hope of Christ. They need to hear the gospel of Christ. They need to know that Jesus has paid the penalty for their sins, and he's the risen Lord. So the mission is to the one. That's one dimension of the mission. But here's the other dimension the other dimension is not the one, it's the church. It's the community of Christ, the church. Why? Because the mission to that one is not just for that one to come to know Christ so he can go to heaven someday. It's for that one to be incorporated into the body of Christ, the church, to become in the community of Christ a living witness together for Christ in our broken world. And those two things go hand in hand together. If you separate those two things There's always problems. We've lived through a season in the Christian faith, in our country in particular, where there are many organizations that have focused on the one, the one, the one, the one. We're going to evangelize. We're going to bring people to Jesus, which is a good thing. But if you divorce that from the church, the community of Christ, something is wrong. So this is why we're talking about the seven traits of a healthy church. Can you see the seven traits working through Jesus, gospel, gratitude? You can almost sense the mission to the one. The gospel to each and every one. And then it moves through prayer to unity, to maturity. And you realize, oh, we've moved from just the gospel of Christ to the one. Now we've moved to the community of Christ, the many drawn together to be the body of Christ to be his witness in a broken world. See, that's the way this works. And then you come to trait number seven, and it's mission, and it's full circle. You see, that's the circle. That's a living, healthy church. Now you know what we're working at at River West Church. This is what we're working on. This is who we want to become as a church. And so I want to close today by um, talking on a personal level, sharing some things with you. I believe that God has given me a mission, a personal mission, something important to do. And that personal mission is to train and equip pastors and Christian leaders to build living, healthy churches in our broken world, to have an impact for Christ. It's a personal mission It's like something important that God says, this is what I want you to do. And in many ways, for the last 28 years, that's exactly what I've been doing at River West Church. Plant a church, raise up leaders, build a healthy church. This is what we've been doing for 28 years. In fact, this series of lessons on the seven traits of a healthy church has come after a lot of reflection on that process over these years of what is it? look like to have a healthy church? How are we training our leaders? What are our values? What are we really working on, trying to quantify all of that? And many of these lessons on the seven traits actually have come out of all of that. So in the last two and a half years, as we've been in this transition, those of you who are new, you might not know this, but we've been in a transition for two and a half years where Pastor Adam and myself have been sharing the leadership of the church. And during that two and a half years, I've been sort of backing away from the day-to-day, like overseeing the ministry of River West Church. Why? Because the Lord has given me something important to do. And I have been doing what I feel God has called me to do by going, working within the church, but also going outside the church to train and equip pastors and leaders. And so I've taught at the seminary, I've been mentoring pastors. Some of the work that we've done, whether it's in um, Myanmar or Rwanda, has been around that pastoral leadership piece. And that's been awesome. It's been life-giving to me because I feel like that's what God's called me to do. That's kind of a personal mission that he's given to me. I feel it's time for us to kind of take the next logical step in that whole transition. And so here's what's going to happen. In three weeks, on January 28th, Sunday morning, we're going to have the official handoff where that senior pastor position is going to be handed fully and completely to Pastor Adam. And I am going to, listen carefully, I am going to take a new role River West Church. Now, did you hear me say that I'm leaving? No, you didn't hear that. I'm taking a new role at River West Church, which actually is going to look very much like the role I've already been playing for the last couple of years. And that role is pastor of leadership training. Pastor of leadership training. And that's local and international. Okay, It's what I have been doing, and it's what I want to continue to do because I believe that's the important thing that God has given me to do. So on the 28th, that's going to officially happen. And um, many people have asked me, it's interesting, as many people as I've told that, universally, the first question people ask me is, how do you feel about that? <laughs> well, but, but how do you feel about that? And you know what? That's a great question. If you want to know how I feel, come back on January 28th, and I'll tell you how I feel. Somebody said to me after the first service, I don't want to know how you feel. I want to know how Adam feels about that. <laughs> and I said, that's a great question. Come back on January 28th, and you'll hear from Adam about how he feels about that. Some people have said, well, what are you going to do? I'm like, come back on the 28th, and I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Right? What's it going to look like? Are we going to hear from you anymore?" From up front, will you be teaching or preaching at River West? Come back on the 28th and find out all those things. So I guess I'm kind of setting up the 28th, but um, I wanted to let you know that so you can think and pray about that with us. Um, Obviously, I hope you can tell by my demeanor that um, I see this as a great positive thing for our church, for the kingdom of God, for the expansion of our ministry and influence into wider circles, which is really what, what we want. That's what God has called us for. We have something important to do, and you're a part of that as well. So please keep all of that in mind in that. But I also want you to think about your own mission. What's your mission? What does God have for you to do? Next two Sundays, we have Connect Sunday and Serve Sunday. Great opportunity for you to pray about it and think about it. Well, What, what has God given me to do? to join this mission to the one and to build the church. What has he given me to do? Think about that.